0: Well, I do, now that we've located it, uh, I do have a picture with me this morning. Uh, This is a picture of my great-grandfather. So this would be my dad's dad's dad. Uh, When I look at this picture, it tells me a story. I I know a lot of things about this gentleman. I've had the opportunity uh, to read his doctrinal dissertation, which is the paper you have to write to get your Ph.D., uh, I've had the opportunity, because of some items that my great aunt has now uh, found and is putting up online to, in a uh, family Facebook page, I've been able to read some of his sermons, uh, because he pastored in in, uh, in in America and in Canada, uh, and he did so for most of his adult life. Now, America and Canada were not his native land. He immigrated here at the age of three. Uh, but when he did minister, he lived mostly in parsonages, uh, like we do, uh, but he pastored a number of churches where he didn't receive a salary. All he got, uh, or all he had, was uh, the people who would bring him groceries every Monday or Tuesday, and that was the way uh, that he fed his family. Uh, I never met the man, of course, he was long dead before I was born uh, due to the fact that uh, he was in a car accident uh, while in Canada uh, that ultimately killed him. Uh, but I look at that picture, I hang it on the wall in of my office, and I look at that picture and I see all of those things. And I think of all of those things. And, and, and I remember the joy that I have for this heritage because I, I do get to read his sermons and his doctrinal dissertation. And, and I find my, uh, a kindred with a lot of what he has to say. But most people are going to walk into my office and they're going to see the picture. Maybe you might see a little bit of my hairline or you might see a little bit of my dad. I certainly see my grandfather in that picture. Uh, But ultimately, you don't know the story of that picture. Now, the Bible contains a lot of pictures. God seems to uh, like to give us pictures to help us understand spiritual truths. Uh, Of course, we see this in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As Jesus, when he teaches, would often use... Uh, pictures to help us understand something he is trying to teach us. Now, here in the book of Isaiah, we have a book that is loaded with pictures. Perhaps the biggest picture in this book is the is Isaiah returns to the theme of the Messiah. Multiple times over the course of his book, multiple chapters just dedicated to telling us all about uh, who this guy is, what to look for, what's going to happen when he gets here, what's going to be the ultimate result of his arrival. This morning, we are just a handful of verses away from one that is very popular, one that we actually read this morning, a verse that we're very familiar with in this time of year. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son him call his name Emmanuel. Well that verse is pointing us to a picture. A picture that is going to be more fully explained as Isaiah goes further into the book. Now we go to Matthew and we know that the Bible tells us that the verse ultimately points to Jesus. But there is a picture here that we need to bring with us as we journey into Matthew, as we get closer to the Christmas story. There's a picture here for us to see as we go and we see the child that was born to a virgin. My desire for you this Christmas season is to spend the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through Isaiah, hopefully form these pictures, so that when we do finally arrive at the manger, perhaps on Sunday night... Uh, before Christmas, when we have our live nativity and you come out and you grab your hot chocolate after the service is over and you go outside over uh, out to the the side over here where we're going to have it and you see this living nativity, you will have all of these pictures to bring with you and you can understand the fullness of the picture of that moment. So that's my desire for you. And so we want to start this morning getting a fuller picture of the birth of Jesus And let me give you three things, three points this morning, three pictures, three messages, I should say, that come out of this picture. Number one, number one, calamity awaits those who don't live by faith. When we go to the nativity scene, one of the things we have to understand that the message there is this, that calamity awaits those who don't live by faith. You see in our text, in verse 17, Isaiah says, I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. Now this needs some explaining. You see, in the context here, the nation of Judah, which is split from the nation of Israel... The nation of Judah is facing a crisis. Good King Uzziah has died. His son Ahaz is now on the throne. That's not too bad of a situation. But Israel to their north and Assyria, who is even more powerful further north, have decided they're going to become allies. And together as allies, they have made it known that their intention is to come down and to conquer Judah. A word has gotten out. In fact, the Bible describes here in Isaiah that the word that Assyria and Israel were coming to invade has passed through Judah like a wind. The idea there is that now the king and now the people are in full-blown panic. What's going to happen? Now, that's the context. And in that context, God comes through the prophet Isaiah, comes to King Ahaz and says, I want you to know that you should not worry. This plot that you're hearing about, that Israel and Assyria have joined together to invade Judah, he says, not going to happen. And he tells Ahaz, you know what I'm going to do? He says, instead, what's going to happen is I'm going to break the leadership of Israel, and I'm going to break the leadership of Assyria. Ahaz, I'm here. Now, God then turns to Ahaz and says, what I want you to do now Is I want you to live by faith, to trust me. Now, God knows in the midst of this crisis, this might be a difficult task. And so he says to Ahaz, ask for a sign, anything you want, anything you want. You can ask me anything to prove. This is the one moment in the Bible that God says, I'm ready to prove that what I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Ask anything for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, not going to do it. Which is ultimately a, a refusal to live by faith. And so God says, you know what? If you're not going to ask for a sign, I'm going to give you one. Here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Now Ahaz's refusal to ask for a sign should not be Surprising. Earlier in the book, the Bible describes Judah as an unruly garden. It's not bearing fruit like it should. It should be plowed over and started over. And all the way from the, the sign that God says the virgin's going to conceive, all the way to our verses, basically Isaiah shares with the nation, this is exactly what's going to happen. God's coming to plow everything over. He says, look, Ahaz is going to try all sorts of military alliances. He's going to try and reach out to Babylon. He's going to try and reach out to Egypt saying, ally with me so that uh, when these guys come, we're going to win. Uh, In fact, there are all sorts of of different places that the people, the citizens of the nation are trying to run to uh, to find safety. In fact, right after our verses in verse 19, we learn the prevailing wisdom of the day is that in this time of crisis, they needed to consult fortune tellers and what the Bible calls wizards. The whole nation is described by Isaiah as refusing the sweet waters of Shiloh. And the result is verse 17. God is going to give them up through their own devices. God's going to let them run to these places that they think are going to keep them safe. He's going to let Ahaz try to get his alliances. He's going to let the people go and ask fortune tellers. But he's going to leave them to it because those things are not going to save them. That's what Isaiah means in verse 17, that God's going to hide his face from the house of Judah. Or the house of Jacob. The early church fathers, about 300 AD, they understood the connection that Isaiah was making. And that connection here actually plays a role as to why we celebrate the birth of Christ when we do. I've mentioned this before over the last few years. The early church fathers, when they came up with the idea of celebrating the birth of Christ around the 25th of December, they knew that Jesus had not been born on the uh, 25th of, uh, of December. They also were quite aware of what the pagan societies and the pagan people of those times, how they viewed this time of year. But that's exactly why they put it here. This is exactly why this became part of the church's uh, practice to celebrate the birth of Christ in this time. You see, because the, the pagan belief of the winter meant there was this unknown future. For the winter is dark and cold. The early church fathers understood that the pagans they were trying to reach with the gospel looked at this time of year and they saw all sorts of opportunity for calamity. What if they didn't get enough moisture? What if what it got too cold and someone died? What if he got sick? And so they looked at this time of year, the pagans they were trying to reach saw this time of year and they said... The, the, this calamity is everywhere. And the early church fathers, the early church missionaries came and introduced Jesus to it. And they said the only way to avoid true calamity is faith in Christ. Now, of course, they meant spiritual calamity, but the picture was still there. They weren't trying to, to uh, mix Christmas or Christianity with paganism. This was about answering the cry of the pagan. You see, Isaiah's day, the people were certain that calamity was coming. Calamity was going to come if Assyria and Israel invaded together. And God says to Ahaz, he says, true calamity, true calamity only comes when the people stop living by faith, when they stop believing in God's promised rescue. The pagans of the early church, they thought calamity was a cold, harsh winter that threatened life. But the early missionaries came and said, no, true calamity is when there's no faith in God's promised rescue. And so maybe this holiday season, you need to be reminded the real calamity is not that your mom is going to get you socks for Christmas. True calamity is not how high the heat bill is going to get, Dad. True calamity is not what Uncle So-and-So might say about faith or Donald Trump at the table. True calamity is not whatever happens to the Hickory Honeyham. Real calamity will come for those who try and live without faith. Who will try and live without Christ. Christ. And true calamity comes to the Christian who tries to face the holiday season without living by faith. And so one of the pictures we see as we come to the nativity, one of the things that Isaiah begins to form for us is that when we see the the child in a manger, we're reminded that calamity comes to those who will not believe in God's promised rescue. Number two. Number two, the next idea that Isaiah wants to lay out for us here as we march towards the Messiah. Number two, living by faith, living by faith will mean seeking and waiting. Living by faith will mean seeking and waiting. Here Isaiah speaks for himself. He says in verse 17, I will wait upon the Lord. I will look for him. Now over chapters 7 through 9, there's a contrast of attitudes towards God. Now, here in the context here, God's presenting himself to his people as their source of security. He is their salvation. Now, the problem here is, he's presented himself as that, and he's been utterly rejected. And so now these things are in motion. These failures of Ahaz, these failures of the people, are now going to bring tremendous consequences. And even the faithful, even those who wanted to to rely on God's salvation, they themselves will even have to face the reality of those consequences. The consequence is that there's going to be darkness. But God is promising, with the child that is going to be conceived by the virgin, he's not going to leave them to be completely wiped out. And in fact, God's going to respond to those who persecute by shattering them. And so Isaiah here says, you know what? The darkness is coming, the consequences are coming. So here's what I'm going to do I'm going to wait and I'm going to seek while I'm in this darkness. I'm going to respond by living by faith. Uh, We see this picture in another place in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is out in front of his house, I picture, uh, but we see the prayer that he prays in Habakkuk chapter 1. Lord, ultimately, he says, all the people are wicked. The whole nation's just gone to pot. What are you going to do, God? So God shows up and he says to Habakkuk, Well, actually, I've got wicked Babylon over here. They're going to take their army. They're going to come over here, and they're going to completely wipe everybody out, except for a small few who were ready to be faithful to me. And Habakkuk responds, Lord, that doesn't seem like an improvement on the situation. And so God says to Habakkuk, Wait and see. And we get one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. He says to Habakkuk, the just live by faith. And living by faith then is described by Habakkuk. It's described here by Isaiah as the process of waiting and seeing. And what does it mean to wait? What does Isaiah mean when it comes to waiting? What did Habakkuk mean when he said we have to Wait and see. Well, the idea in Scripture of waiting on God is the idea of taking, while you're in the darkness, while you're trying to figure out what's going to happen next, when you don't know what's going to happen next, the idea of waiting is to take what the pictures are that the Scriptures give you of God and put them in your mind's eye. The Bible's actually asking you to use your imagination. While you're waiting, use your imagination. The Bible tells you, the God describes himself as an eagle, a thunderstorm, a mighty warrior. Put those pictures in your mind's eye. The Bible talks about God as one who holds the sun in his hand and is able to squeeze it like a ball. God walks by with his army as Isaiah will picture it. And mountains will stand wide-eyed and mouth open at the majesty of it. While you wait, you are to put all of who God is, according to Scripture, in the mind's eye. That is what you do while you wait. But then there's this idea of seek. I will look for him. But the idea there is that I'm going to live in a way that pleases God. I'm going to seek out his pleasure. That while I'm in the darkness while I'm struggling to know what's happening, when I don't know what's coming down the road, he says, I'm going to seek the Lord. Meaning the idea there is I'm going to have uh, thoughts and ideas and all my fears are going to be controlled ultimately by my desire to please God. You see, right after our verses this morning, it is not a coincidence that when Isaiah starts talking about waiting and seeking, We're only a handful of verses before we get to chapter 9. And we're told that a people who live in darkness will see a great light. That while he waits, on the other side will come a moment when the light will dawn and we will see one who will come described as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so what Isaiah is saying here is the life of faith means waiting and seeking until the sun comes up. The psalmist described the arrival of the morning as the completion of waiting and seeking during the dangers of the night. For centuries, hymn writers have understood this picture. And they have used it and incorporated it because it belongs as a picture or a part of the scene of the birth of Christ. We see it in the hymn that we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Did you notice in the verse it says... O come, thou Dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thy advent here. And what does it say? Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, the death-dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. It It is a verse about putting away the darkness so that the light can appear. We have another Christmas song, O come, all you faithful, that says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Of course, the theme is obvious when it says it came upon a midnight clear or silent night, holy night. We see it again in songs like love has come. We sing about light arriving in the darkness. Because that's what Isaiah says is the the birth of Messiah will bring light in the darkness. And I think this is ultimately what makes this time of year very difficult for some people. When you've had a life full of difficulty or tragedy of loss, when it feels like life is nothing more than a never-ending stream of darkness, you wonder to yourself, am I ever going to make it through the cold, dark season of life now that I've lost the one I love, now that I'm facing loneliness, now that I'm dealing with these broken relationships? And you come to church and you're asked to sing about light when there's so much darkness. But the life of faith is filled with waiting and seeking when you can't see your hand in front of your face. The time when you need most to bring your, the mind's eye to the majesty of God as the scriptures describe. You think of the glory of the angels who appeared to the shepherds. You think of the glory of God wrapped up in swaddling clothes. And you're supposed to let it lead you to a desire to please God. And so you then you go out, even in the midst of darkness, you go out and you, you buy presents for Cro- Project Christmas Tree, or you go out and you get something for Toys for Tots. Even in the darkness, you buy a turkey and you bring it to your neighbor or to me. You let your thoughts and your ideas or your fears be controlled by the knowledge that Christ was born. And it's a promise that even in the midst of darkness, dawn will always come. Just wait and see. Number three also, number three brings it to the ultimate point. You have to behold the child to see the sign. You have to behold the child to see the sign. Look with me at verse 18. and Isaiah invites us as the reader, the original audience who were listening to him preach, he said, "Behold, look at me and my children, for they are a sign in wonder in Israel, given by God, who dwells on Mount Zion." Now, the Bible tells us that the prophecy, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, is a double prophecy, meaning it had a fulfillment in Isaiah's time, and of course we know that it has a fulfillment in the future with the birth of Christ. Now in this case, it's explained to us at the beginning of chapter 8 that not long after this sign is promised that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, Isaiah's wife has a child. She bears a son. You see, the birth of the the child to Isaiah's wife was the sign that God was, in fact, with them in this moment of crisis. But what's interesting, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 8, they give him a name that means to hasten the spoil and swift to pray. So the child's arrival is supposed to be a sign that God's with them, that God is going to be ultimately the one that's going to save them. But the name of the child is a reminder that God's people are now going to have to face consequences for not having trusted the Lord. Now chapter 8 explains to us that one of the themes in Isaiah is that there are two people in the nation of Judah. There are those who claim to worship God and those who actually do. Those who actually do love God. They're dependent upon His salvation. They trust His word. They're not looking for national alliances they're not getting into political gameship to try to get them out of the crisis. They're the kind of people, while surrounded by the storm, hassled by all these menaces, they're going to stay calm. Why? Because they believe God is still on the throne. So the reality is here, as Isaiah is saying in verse 18, Behold, look at my child. This is a promised child. This was the evidence of both God's salvation and God's judgment. The Lord of hosts... Is a title used in the Bible one of two ways. If we see the Lord of hosts, the the message is one of two things. Now, the idea of the Lord of hosts is that God is the general or the commanding uh, general of a large army, a host. But it's presented us to in Scripture one of two ways. Either God's saying, I'm the Lord of hosts, to remind his people that his army is always bigger, so they don't need to worry, or he's bringing it up to remind his enemies. That his army is always bigger and any plot against him, any conspiracy is doomed to fail. And when we come to the Christmas story, we find out that all of these same things are applied to the second fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. The uh, The birth of Jesus is both announced as the arrival of God's salvation But both John the baptizer and Simeon prophesy that wrapped up in that baby in the manger is also the coming judgment of God. The child born to the virgin to save his people from their sins is also the one who will have the government on his shoulder. And who one day will have every knee bow. So the point that Isaiah is trying to make here, the point that it points us to later in the manger, is Isaiah saying, you have to see, behold, see the child, see the sign." And what is the child in the manger we we see our salvation of course this isn't a, this isn't the idea that we hope everything's going to turn out okay it's the promise that everything is going to turn out okay that in the midst of struggle and despair and difficulty and changes and problems and worries the birth of Christ this time of year should remind us that we can see and trust that God is still on his throne he's always in the business of saving While you're surrounded by storms, while you're hassled by menaces. The birth of Jesus is the sign in the wonder to call you to remain calm. But we also see judgment. But as Christians this morning, this is good news for us too. You see, because it tells us that God is not in the business of ignoring evil and sin. Just like Isaiah's son was the reminder that of their refusal to live by faith, so is the birth of Christ... It is a warning to a world that will not live by faith. It is a warning that says that the victims, the underprivileged, the poor, the exploited, the feeble, the slandered, the abused, they will all get their justice. Because before Christ, the rich will not have a fancy lawyer to get them off on a technicality. The famous will not see leniency just because everybody knows their name. The religious leaders who abused their position will feel the wrath of God. And it doesn't matter that people called them reverend or father or bishop. We find out that the the, the girls who called God their father, who were taken, uh, taken advantage of by men and boys, will someday see their heavenly father bring down the anger of the lightning of his wrath for what they did to his daughters. And the men who have lived and served faithfully will watch their heavenly father comfort them and then openly shame those who slandered them. You see, the child, Jesus, is a sign not only of salvation, but that justice will come. Calamity will come to the one who refuses to be justified by faith. The one who will be justified by faith in Christ. The message is to look at the child to believe God or be rejected. The life of faith will mean that you have periods of waiting and to wait and meditate, thinking all the Bible tells us of the wonder of who God is. And it means not losing hope, not getting distracted, not getting sidetracked while you live in the darkness because you know that the birth of Christ is the promise that the sun will come up. This season, behold the child, the born of a virgin, to whom the government will be upon his shoulder. See him as the sign and wonder that he is That the God of heaven is a God who saves. And a God of heaven is the God of righteous and holy justice. See the sign. See the picture. Hear the message. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these developments, Lord. And I pray as we move through Isaiah that you would help them become clearer and clearer to us. What this season means. And the joy we can bring because we know that we, will, we have uh, we've solved the greatest calamity, our, our, our sin, by putting our faith in Christ. And Father, I, I pray we'd be encouraged in this season to know that we can wait and seek, knowing that the light will come. And I pray, Father, that we would look to the child, be reminded that, that God is in the business of saving and in the business of justice. And we thank you for these things and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.